Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind. Myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province or upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So, gents, what have you been up to this week? Jeff, you got big news for us? Uh, I'm pregnant. No, I'm not. Um, Congratulations. I can't Congrats. do that. I actually can't do that. Um, no, uh, no real news, no. Um I succeeded. You ran a marathon. Yeah, well, so did like a thousand other people in Limerick there at the weekend. I was waiting by the finish line. And, and you uh, know, like, I, I would big it up. Sorry to cut across your tongue, but when you're such a natural athlete such as myself, it's just another... I don't think you didn't even, didn't even train for it here. Uh, no, not quite. No, yeah. um, just another day, you know, just another day. What yeah, can I, I, say? I When I was at, I was at this, I was in the city for it and I was... I, once I knew there was any bit of racing going on at all, of course, my interest would be piqued. So what I was doing was I was standing right by the last 10, 15 meters of the of the race. And just as people were coming past, I would race the people who I thought were looking particularly like arrogant just to show them this is what a real athlete looks like and beat every one of them. They had done it for me over that last 10 meters. There was one thing I noticed on the route, though. There was a distinct lack of slides. Um I didn't have to. Not a real race. No hurdles. There's no hurdles. Like it was very strange. But uh, not a real a fake race. <laughs> yeah. No. Like I suppose. Like if we're being serious about it, there was one maybe half hour moment where things got very dark for a little while. Um, you, you know when you're questioning everything hat, you've ever done. The hat fell down over your eyes. Oh my days! Like <laughs> it just very very bleak, and it just came out of like you know when they say like you hit a wall. It wasn't tired, like it was like, don't get me wrong. I was tired, like, but it was certainly, like, what am I doing? It was just kind of looking around at all these people lining, you know, like just enjoying themselves. And I'm like, why aren't I just there? Why am I doing this? I can just do that. <laughs> but, um, there was two, there was one very funny moment though. Um, it was very late in the race and there was a woman with her kids, or at least I assumed there were her kids or it would be quite weird, but, um, just like a little girl and they had fruit out on a little table and I was running past and this was maybe about 35k in or something like that but there was little peeled mandarins and I saw one and I said to myself that is exactly what I need right now like a power up in Super Mario yeah but like Super Mario I just kept running as I tried to grab it and like my hand touched the orange but the orange fell on the ground so that wasn't too bad you know whatever like it's um you know, I've just dropped the orange, whatever. It was certainly my reaction. I'd say that the mother did not like me as a person because I looked at the little girl while running and I went, oh shit, fuck, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept running. And I didn't really get a chance to apologize for my for my language, but it just, the language just, I suppose, slipped out. But there was another part. Then we went for a few drinks um, Sunday night and uh, I went to the bathroom and there was two fellas chatting by the sink and... Uh, I just, whatever, I was just going to the bathroom, whatever, and I could overhear their conversation. So the two boys were talking about their nipples and I started just kind of giggling to myself, you know, at the urinal. And the two boys looked at me and they were like, can you hear what we're saying? And I was like, to be honest with you, any other day of the week, this conversation would be very strange, but I can understand completely why you're talking about their nipples. So the two boys started laughing anyway. And I thought I was in the clear next thing anyway, like they had a few drinks and them, whatever. Next thing anyway, one fella just kind of comes up next to me and he's like, and how are your nipples? <laughs> my, my, my nipples are fine, my man. Thank you very much. 
you any tape, other... did, did you tape them up? Uh, no, I didn't. I just wore a comfortable Vaseline. No, no Vaseline needed. Just, I told you, man, when you're a natural athlete, you're just, yeah, just, just you could have just done a topless. Water yeah, off I, think, back, I think, like, think we need know? to drill down a little bit on Jeff's nipples here for this, for the next five minutes. <laughs> bit of nipple analysis. <laughs> it's an audio pod, so I'll have to get descriptive. Get the uh, um, ex- expected nipples, just the XN stat. No, it was a good day, though. Like, um, and credit to everyone who showed up and the volunteers and stuff. Like, as a, you know, like you think, like I've, I've been at the Great Limit Run for years, like, you know, watching it and stuff. But it's only when you do it, you realize the extent of an operation it is like. Jeez, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of fainters as well. And I felt so bad because you're kind of like, uh, like you didn't, if someone falls in front of you, obviously you'd help them, don't get me wrong, but you'd see someone on the side getting help off someone else. And in any other walk of life, you're kind of like, well, you'd obviously, you know, you'd stop. Jeez, can I help? Can I do anything? But here it was a bit like climbing Everest, you know, you're just like, I'm just going to chop that rope. Oh, and uh, <laughs> adios. <laughs> you're just kind of like, I have my own problems here. <laughs> you know, it was so bad. Like um, a friend of mine actually fainted. I wasn't with him around him, but he fainted something like 700 meters before the end. And uh, yeah, he was a bit gutted. But like, I mean, the way he looked at it and he's right, like is. You know, it's not like he didn't prepare. It's not like he wasn't taking water on board. Like, or, you know, he literally just ran till he passed out. And I don't know if that's what you're into. That's pretty admirable. But what I discovered this weekend is running as a pastime. Not for me. Really not for me. It's a um, bit of a silly pastime, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, like anybody could do it. Well, I didn't mean it in that way. But... <laughs> I'm not looking to be superior in my pastimes. <laughs> I just meant like, it's so sore. Like it's not enjoyable after a while. And after a while, I mean, four or five minutes, you know. I'm more of a sprinter, you see. So like, you know, again, yeah. I maybe wouldn't be running for around 40 seconds max. So that I never really get bored of it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like uh, a big fan of ours said, it's time that I challenge you now in a slide race. So yeah, I just want to let the little knocks heal, you know. And uh, bring it on, whenever. Oh, I'm all, I'm all over it. Yeah, can't wait. You will be surprised at how rapid I am, how fast I can. Yeah, scuttle. but it needs to be somewhere neutral grounds, somewhere like Trabalgan. Trabalgan. Yeah, actually, Something not like as that. cursed as what it used to be. Yeah, I don't mind Trabalgan. Yeah, Trab- mm. how do you how would you pronounce it? Trabalgan. Trabalgan. Yeah. How would you say it on? Trabalgan. Trabalgan. You're both wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The wasps episode all over it's again. A, yeah. <laughs> the man who says wasps. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to my brother today, and uh, he said you're starting to pick up a bit of a Limerick accent. Yes. yes. You know what I say? What'd you say? Tacky. I said. I know. I said that someone made him do it. Made. Yeah. Yeah. He made him do it. It's like. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. It'll, it'll come to you as well when you say like I was wandering. I was wandering someone, there, and someone would be like, "Where were you wandering?" And you were like, I was at home, like, like, what? And you're like, like, I was wondering if you want to go. And they were like, wondering. And you're like, okay, I was wondering. I was wondering, excuse me. Yeah, that'll, so, that'll come next. It's creeping in. How was your weekend on? Quite enough. Quite enough now. Um, got a few coaching for a few games and bits and pieces. And then I had to do a child safeguarding and risk assessment survey. Thing. Oh, it was the most boring 
boring 28 page document I've ever gone through in my life. No document should be 28 pages long. Slightly (laughs) ironic considering you are an online or a, a podcaster that advertises his child fighting ring that you're now being asked to do that. Well, that's that's what I that's what I was doing the uh, safeguarding and child <laughs> risk assessment for. <laughs> you know, we we have to keep up the standards within the club itself. How much violence is too much violence? <laughs> that's the thing. How much? Apparently, drawing blood is where. That's where we're going to draw the limit on that. What's that? What's that movie, <laughs> or is it a TV show where your man's like, uh, "You have a lot of internal bleeding," and he's like, "Well, that's where the blood is supposed to be." <laughs> It's when it's outside the body that's when problems start to pop up. I had a, what did you get up to, Tom? Me, nothing, absolutely nothing. I was cast into a deep depression on Saturday for some just completely un, unrelated reason. Um, at around five or six o'clock, just depressed, miserable, upset. But we're going to have to talk about that game later on, so I'm not going to go into it now. Well, let's dive straight into it then, and we'll get your we'll we'll bring back your depression straight away. <laughs> Face your fears straight straight down. <laughs> um, we'll kick off with Leinster against Toulouse. Leinster won forty one twenty two. Um, much easier than I think most people expected it. Um, but I think what to me what it did show was how clinical Leinster are in the yellow cards. Two yellow cards ran in four tries, 28 points, I think it was. In those. Did I hear it, that it was like 22 points at 13 to, to lose outside of the yellow card periods? I think I read that. Did I read that somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> not sure if that's even and true. W- one of those, I think Leinster scored four tries, I think it was 28 points, and then directly either before or after one of the yellow cards. Ramo, um, when he came back on the field, they scored a try um, directly after he came back on. Yeah. The the replacement scrum half threw the ball at Dupont's head. It bounced off. Lester went on and scored. Yeah, he threw it. it was... he, he threw it at Jacques Release's head. And oh, was I, it? Yeah, I remember watching this back, and I was just like, "You like your man had better pinch himself because he's having the fucking showing up to school with no pants and no shoes nightmare." Because fucking hell, that guy came on and had a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I was just like, "Why are you still on the field? What's going on here?" <laughs> Most people would have been watching that match going. Wow, they've moved Anton Dupont out to, out of nine to ten to bring this guy on. He must be good. Ah, uh, the poor I, fella. Like I, I, I actually felt bad for him because within a few minutes of coming on, he had been directly involved in three Leinster tries. It's just like if he, poor if, guy, he was, like. if he was a Leinster player, that would have been the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's like these are Jimmy O'Brien levels. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't personally get why they moved Dupont from nine. It was just really weird. For me, if you have the best nine in the world, he plays nine. That's it. Like, there's no discussion here. And it's like, oh, well, we need someone to slot in 10. Put someone else in. Like, like leave leave Lantamak at at 10. Yeah. You know, the guy, what's the name? Their winger uh, who didn't get injured. Retier, is it? No, but they they had a winger on the field who wasn't hurt, who has played midfield before. Oh, sorry. They could have just brought on Retier. To replace the winger, like for like, and yeah, there you go. But I didn't no, understand it. It was just and I didn't weird. actually because I missed the first half. I missed the first uh, fifty, maybe because I was at a communion party. Oh man, Tom, 
I knew I had something else to say to you. Massive slide at this communion party. Good. I like a Bossed. challenge. Bossed it. Just. <laughs> anyway, I go, I, I digress. But um, so on the on the Discord, some you know, I was like, spoil away there because it's the easiest way for me to get to keep up. And someone was like, oh, they've moved Dupont and Intimac from nine and ten. Sorry, like, is this is this a joke? Like, are you trying to see how far you can go and get me to believe it? But it was not a joke, and uh, it just makes no sense to me. Like, Leinster were so good and so clinical, and their forwards were actually so good at standing up to Toulouse in those, like, the initial segments of the game where they would have needed to. Yeah. But I felt the management of the game from Toulouse, they were just absolutely pinging haymakers at their own jaw all day long. Ah, it was, was just there was, a few, there was a few offloads they threw. Let's say they'd struggle to they'd scramble back and get possession and then throw a pass that might go, you know, knocked on or something like that. Or, but you're kind of like, even if he did catch that pass, where's it going? What's next? Like, what's mm. the next thing? You know, it was, um, it was kind of disappointing, I suppose, from a Toulouse perspective, even from, I suppose, a neutral perspective, because like I, I, had, was, I, I was very neutral with this. I was like, I hope rugby is the winner overall here. Je suis neutral. Um, is that I am in French? I don't know. Je suis. Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, you know, it was built to be an unbelievable game and it kind of just petered away, especially like that. I, again, like I saw maybe 10, what time was that red or a yellow card for the, the action towards Josh van der Fleer? It was at around the 68th minute there or thereabouts. Yeah. So I, I was, I was maybe five to 10 minutes before that. And I was kind of like, oh, this is tight enough. But after that, then it was like game oh, over, game over. Done. This is done. Well, yeah, um, I mean, if you th- like, as we said, like Len- Leinster first yellow card, <clears throat> Leinster scored two tries, fourteen points, being it out. Suddenly, it's twenty-seven, seventeen, just before that. That uh, which got um, interaction with the <laughs> effectively the headbutt, um, and Toulouse are kicking. F- now it may not have been quite a fifty-twenty-two, but they're they're. They put the ball deep into the Leinster twenty-two. It was a huge opportunity for them. Yeah, if if it was given as a fifty-twenty-two, they had attacked. They just scored off a mall there previously. They had a chance to get back into it, and your man decides to <laughs> throw shapes in the rock. And I mean, like he, he's done it. And actually, going back to the rocks, the breakdown was an absolute shit show all over mm. the place. Lawless. The yeah. amount. Oh, it was the wild, wild west. I mean, the amount of little digs, the elbows flying into people's heads, um, leaning on guys' heads and sort of as you're trying to get up or even to hold them down, lots of cheap shots from both sides onto that. It was absolute wild, wild west. And Barnes let it all go. That's what he, he does. They were, yeah, it's it's just pure, pure chaos on it. Like My big takeaway from the game was that Leinster are a lot like the All Blacks um, from around, let's say, you know, the early part of the last decade where to a certain point you have to play a perfect game to stay in with a chance of beating them because they so rarely make mistakes. Like so much of what they do is like just the basics to kind of just a, a huge, a hugely efficient level. Toulouse, I think, have and have the firepower to beat Leinster. But 
the way they approach these games, the way they've, like last season, maybe you could look at the conditioning coming in. This year, it felt that Toulouse learned nothing from last the last season's game, but also nothing from France versus Ireland and the Six Nations. It just felt that they were playing way too much rugby. And then the, the minute they had one injury, it felt like Hugo Mola panicked. It felt like that they were just riven with uncertainty. And like the thing about Leinster is they have so much certainty built into everything they do. Everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing. All their systems are like not flawless, but they're built to such a, a degree and everyone's knowledge of them is such that it doesn't really matter what happens in a game. They're just going to keep going. And you could see with the, when those yellow cards came up, the impetus picked up from Leinster and they were going to take advantage of those. And I wouldn't say that, that Leinster from a phase play perspective or anything like that blew to lose out the gap. I wouldn't say that, but they were so efficient at the line out. They were so efficient with their launch plays. Uh, they didn't make any mistakes while Toulouse were dropping clangers every other few minutes. Um, just a really, like a really outstanding example of clinical, ruthless, super efficient rugby that almost like a machine going through it where like Toulouse, I think what they would have needed to win this game was to bring Leinster off script and they just were not able to keep their errors out of the game or their discipline to allow them a chance even to go at it. Just that's the most impressive thing to me about this performance for, from Leinster was just how efficient it was in that I, I look, look back at the game and I couldn't really see a whole ton of killer mistakes. It, like they weren't flawless, but when the moment came for them to do the right thing, they did the right thing every single time and to lose were almost the opposite. It was very, very impressive from that perspective. One of the, one of those moments for me was, I think it was Lowe's try. Did he score like the third try? Third-ish. Or not James Lowe, sorry. Jimmy, Jimmy, um, Jimmy Bryan. In the corner, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the left yeah. corner. I'm sure Lowe wasn't in the park. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm half asleep. It was uh, the line-out launch before that. Leinster worked at 21. So like two phases out and then snapped back in. But... Toulouse shut that down well or Leinster just didn't execute it well but there was space there for the ball to be played into and Leinster took contact instead now I don't know if it was a mix up or if it was the wrong receiver or whatever it was it doesn't really matter but so they played two phases out that first one in if you go back and look at the picture like you're kind of like okay run this well it's a try like there was a huge overlap there was numbers there whatever but contact was made but nobody actually panicked they just played two phases, spun left and try in the corner. And like that, you know, they kind of, nobody panicked, even though what I'm, what I'm sure they worked on broke down. They just said, okay, we reload back open twice and then found the space, bang, 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 lovely pass, try in the corner. So like, I mean, what you were saying there, like they just didn't panic. They were pretty efficient and ruthless. They were efficient in their launch play, etc. But even when that broke down, that comfort in chaos and that comfort in a multi-phase game, just knowing, well, we're just going to resort back to habit here and space will open up. And it did like that for me was one of those moments where you're like, Jesus, that's good going because like another team haven't faced that picture against Toulouse and maybe not capitalizing on that 21 
maybe they might go, oh, Jesus, you know, we botched that one. You know, you're, you're suddenly trying to play back into shape very, very quickly. Like Leinster scored three phases later. Like it wasn't like, you know, they had to play for, you know, a minute, 90 seconds in possession to open up a hole somewhere. Like they literally just went, okay, we'll just go back this way. There's a space, bang, gone. And even though they messed up that previous, um, that previous set, they just capitalized hugely and just, you know, that was it. It was a real, how would you say that phrase, you know, like big boy stuff, just, it doesn't really matter if we fail there, we're just going to do it over there instead kind of a thing. Yeah. And for me, one the biggest lesson learned out of this is you just, you have to keep 15 on the pitch for the full 80 against Leinster. If, yeah. if you, if you start conceding cards like that, game is gone. And we'll be gone. And I think Tom's analogy of sort of the All Blacks from about ten years ago, or maybe a bit further back, is is spot on. It's they don't take their foot off; they're going to stamp down on the back of your neck, and they're going to keep it there. It reminds me a bit of like if you're playing a, a boss in a video game, where there's a process to beating that boss. Oh yeah, and deviate, and but and... then you fuck up, and you might be you know fifty percent of the way through but you fuck up and then you're just straight back to zero, no save points and you're done. Like you've got to put them out of sight. And like, I think, but I, I just think looking at a few of the key things in the game where typically when you see Leinster lose, there's a few different things that they, that they do badly or that you're able to affect. You bring their breakdown efficiency below 95% to lose did that. They go, well, they got it to 95% in this game, but they just had no purchase on Leinster's line out at all which means that like I saw a lot of the stuff about Ross Byrne about how great he played in this game I watched it back two or three times now thought he was okay but what I love about Ross Byrne is his understanding at a very deep level Leinster strike plays and understanding exactly where he needs to be on those scripted moments it's when things start to get a bit unscripted is where things start to go a bit hairy for him in my opinion but like those strike plays that they have off the lineouts are so well run they're so good they they create like they get like 20 30 meters maybe 20 meters max but once they start folding back across then their forwards are very fit they're going to get an offside somewhere they kick it deep they maul it so efficient and like to lose if they were going to win this game i feel and so even with the way that they were playing needed to start getting hands on some of those leinster lineouts and i think if a team beats them this year it'll be the team who can make their line-out launches less efficient or can just prevent them from getting a, a good return at the line-out full stop. Because um, if you give them 14, 15 launches and you're only getting hands on one, it's going to be very difficult to stop that team. The game they played against Racing earlier in the season, they had 25 line-outs and they scored one absolute worldly of a try. Um, was it James Lowe who scored it or gave the last pass, I think, to Ring Rose or something like that? Anyway, I can't remember. It was one or the other. I can't really remember. But like it was a fabulous try. They ran that same shape four times and that was the fourth time it worked. And all they did was they just tweaked it every time to find the space. And just like that, I mean, Rafsing gave them 25 lineouts. I don't know what they were thinking um, when they did that. But, you know, they will take advantage of it and they will run a shape that they're comfortable with and they like just prick and prod and okay, well that didn't work that time. He didn't bite in last time. He might bite in this time. And if he does, we just go behind him. Blah, blah. Like they will just do that over and over and it will eventually work because 
I mean, you can only defend a very good attacking shape so many times before someone gets flat-footed or someone gets caught in two minds or something happens and they will wait for that. But the next thing or a question I want to ask, and I don't mean to to hijack the the hosting off your own, but I missed it initially, the the porter tackle off the ball, right? And I've seen it since, don't get me wrong, but the whole idea of the TMO not seeing it or not being called back or a lack of replays for the first time in a long time, I'm going to read out an email we got in about it because we haven't forgot about you folks. It's just, we forget to do it every time. But Simon Cullen said, um, I have a question and it's something I'm wondering myself because I actually don't know, but it's, I have a question for you on the access that the TMO has to video to review during the game. The consensus, the consensus seems to be that the TV producers can somehow hide in, in, in those things. What are they called? Um, inverted commas that's the one Um, (laughs) so can somehow hide footage from the TMO for example the tip tackle from Porter surely this isn't the case and they can control what they can see for example we frequently see in matches the TMO bring something to the ref's attention that wasn't shown on the video feed and the ref blows to have a look is it not confused with the opposite advantage of having a home TV producer that they can actively bring something to the ref's attention by showing repeat footage of something during the next stop and play so essentially, I think the question is like a TMO can see what they want as long as the camera angle is there. If the camera angle can't be hidden, I suppose. Yeah. My like understanding you, is yeah, if you, the TMO yeah, is sitting in a van. Sorry, Tom. My, my understanding is the TMO sits in the van and has <clears throat> excuse me, access to as many, all the camera angles available. And he controls what he sees and can ask to see whatever he wants within that. What is shown on the TV screen is not necessarily what the TMO watches. But I do think the second part of that is correct. What happens is you can have a TV director or producer or whatever it is who controls the shots can show what they want on the big screen within this within the stadium. And that can influence whether what a referee sees. Because if a referee looks up and sees something that's put up on the big screen and the crowd is reacting to it, particularly at a home game, then it becomes, okay, what do I need to, I need to have a look at this. And he can start asking the questions within and that. You will and I often think that's see where that. it comes from. Yeah, you will see that as well, where something that isn't necessarily foul play, but looks like it might be, gets replayed over and over again on the stadium, especially when you're away from home, where it gets replayed on the stadium TV screens to bring the crowd into it, to get the crowd making noise so that the TMO will go, oh, hang on. Or the referee will go, oh shit, let's have a look at that. Um, which is, I think, part of the problem as well in that there's no real transparency around it. Oftentimes as well, you will hear on the TMO conversations with the referee that, uh, hang on there now, I'm just waiting for an angle. Or we're just waiting for the footage here to come up. So in some cases, I think it's that they are waiting for footage to be given to them by whoever sitting next to them. But I think in the, in this instance, if this was in France, this game was being played in Bordeaux, right? Replay, replay, replay. And that happened. That is replayed immediately on the big screen. The crowd are into it. They're booing. They're going nuts. They're going ballistic. TMO will come in or the referee will ask to see it. And it's a completely different outcome. At home, that doesn't happen. And I know in this instance, it was BT Sports who were over there doing their producing. 
but at the same time, you know your audience as well. Thanks for saying that. Say that. Yeah, I think if it's an English team, potentially slightly different. If it, I, I would say, if it was Leicester Tigers they were playing, you might be seeing that on the replay. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I think it's just one of those. It's a foible in the game at the moment where I think anybody with a, any bit of sense at all realizes that if that game happens anywhere outside Dublin regardless of who's a broadcaster that's up on the TV screen straight away if it's in France they nearly have a fucking you know 12 part drama series reenactment of it up there to have a look it's uh, they'd have a giant rooster like (laughs) pointing at the big screen (laughs) and like it would be that like where you'd be looking at at least the yellow card for Porter in that instance but minimum yeah yeah that doesn't happen in this in, in in this instance, which again is unusual because it was a notable enough incident. Like, well, considering the um, focus that there has been on things like tip tackles, taking a player off the ball with a tip tackle like that, you would have thought there would have been some some review of it somewhere. Yeah, but like that's why I mean I think that's why people are a little bit like kind of come on, like not even a replay, like that's what got people kind of going. You know, that obviously looks like foul play because it's off the ball, like it's a tip tackle as well. Anywhere else, I think they look at that, but didn't happen in this instance for whatever reason. I still think Leinster would have won, by the way. What do you think of the Josh Ryder Fleer incident? I think if Netty, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Yeah. Netty, I think, yeah. yeah. I think if he let it play out, play out, it's going the other way. But the fact, like had Josh van der Fleer made contact before he moved forward like that changes things like, yeah because people are saying like oh would Josh van der Fleer have got a yellow card like if no. Josh van der Fleer actually hadn't touched him then you can't like what can you card him for it's the mm-hmm. fact that the initial contact was actually netty with his head on van der Fleer so I mean I don't get the argument. And another really? argument that someone was having with me was, well, he's bound with both arms. Like, well, first off, he is absolutely not. He has a grip, like a closed fist grip of a player's jersey on the ground and his right arm is completely free. He is in no way completely bound to that. Like, that's my first argument. And the second argument is like, well, even if he was somewhat bound, he didn't actually turn his head to use a shoulder. He literally just well the people listening to this can't see what I just did but like I just kind of headbutted my mic but like ultimately if he hadn't done anything it's probably flipped but if he's made the initial contact with his head having initiated like a headbutt essentially to the chest of Van der Fleer it's going the other way like there's no like Van der Fleer wasn't going to do anything there to a caterpillar rock like, like I, I absolutely you- nothing was going to happen I thought he deserved the yellow card just for being fucking daft enough to to react to that because it was a nothing rock entry, nothing. He was baited into it. But Pure stupidity. So, Josh Van der Fleer is so good that you know he knew what he was doing. You like? Yeah. I, he was, I think he was like like it just it just no sorry that's not what I meant at all. What did you say, Tom? That Netty deserves. You're talking about Netty. For daftness, like, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Sorry, I thought like, you meant it's a yeah. nothing rock entry. Like, yeah. what's Van der Fleer going to do? Like, fucking plow four or five guys out of the way? Yeah. Like, there's four, there's four you, guys behind you protecting that ball. Why are you reacting? Like, yeah. he's look, he's baiting that card out of you. Like, 
with that reaction. Just stupidity. I it's, think on a first of all, definite yellow card for Nelly. Yeah, look, no question about it. I would question whether if Netty doesn't duck his head down and Van der Fleer makes contact, that isn't even reviewed, right? No one's coming back for that. I think if Netty stays upright, Van der Fleer was not looking to bind, to bind into that ruck the way he was coming in on the second attempt. And I think Netty is putting his head down to defend himself on that but then brings it back up and ends up almost attacking and headbutting Van der Fleer. And that's where the yellow, the yellow card comes from. To be honest, it could have even been red if he yeah. if made proper contact with yeah. the head. He's not bracing himself there. Do you know what I mean? I think he's, he's defending not... himself from that. I, that's that's my own personal opinion on it. You're putting your head down to go and defend it because but the way Van der Fleer is coming in... He put like it out, that, though. He's not... Yeah, he's putting it down. That's... Like he's not he's not necessarily going into a break. He's going into an aggressive position because even if he stays up, it's almost like a like a ball carrier. You're dipping your head down as you go in. You're waiting for that guy to come this, at you. This was the second entry as well because there was the first yeah, one. Yeah, there was the um, first one. I did. He's I, I felt I, I felt he's trying to brace, but also there was a bit of fuck off out of that by the time he kind of oh, yeah. flipped when he flipped back up. And I think part of that goes back to what Barnes had allowed for the first fifty minutes at the breakdown. Guys were absolutely fucking killing each other in the breakdown, right? Man. Right. I I think he I think he was he was thinking if Van der Fleer comes at me and goes at me properly, I can get injured here. So I'm I'm coming at to defend myself, and if I have to throw a headbutt, so fucking be it. That's why I mean, like, like that. That's why you feel he was so daft. Like, what did he feel yeah. was going on? Like, there was nothing there for him to like. Josh Van der Fleer is going to run into me. Okay, I'll take that. Grant, like, why am I? Why am I? trying to coming up anything that could be looked like as a headbutt like stupidity mad stuff and when I see like you know there's people complaining about Van der Fleer going down clutching his neck and stuff like that look I, th- I think to a certain extent you're going to see that in the game these days like it's not it's I don't see him reacting like that in any other aspect of the game but I don't think there's anything wrong with it like I don't think it's worth yeah. criticizing the man over if, if, he, if, he, if he gets a, a tackle and he gets hurt like that he isn't going to stay down on it no no it's like, look it's it's but it is as as you said it is becoming part of the game where if you need to draw attention to something you stay down. It's if you think that something illegal or yellow card or card worthy, you you don't get up and try and play on. You try and bring the attention to it. We've seen that in the games already this season. You stay down. You wait. You hope that something comes up on the big screen, particularly if you're at home. You try I, and draw attention to it. I saw a lot of Chris criticism of Josh Butterfly about it. My reaction to that would be, grow up. It's a fucking pro sport. Like, he's not simulating injury. He got hurt. He got struck. He's drawing attention to it. Your man got a yellow card. Leinster won. Put the game on his side a few seconds later. That's that. Grow up. Completely. How, how many times do you think we're getting sued over the last 15 minutes? Oh, I'd say there's letters as many um, <laughs> solicitors as Donnie Rook and Ralph Gahar. Three, I'd say. You just throw them on the uh, pile. Take it, take it, back in the queue, boys. Back in the queue. <laughs> that lump under the mattress is getting awful big, but uh, we'll move on. We'll talk then with the other game that was on this weekend. Not something, yeah. Uh, we have particularly to. enjoyable. Yeah, we have to talk about this Scotland thirty-six, Ireland ten. Um, not great. 
not great. Ireland, Ireland started reasonably well. It felt during the game that, like, especially like the, the bits and pieces I saw, because I saw I missed the first part of the first half, but then saw the rest. And I don't know, it felt like I didn't believe that Ireland were capable of breaking Scotland open at any point. Even though they scored like uh, off a mall or a mall position or whatever it was. It just felt that there was no attacking threat really from Ireland worth talking about. And that's part of the problem. I I watched the game and I was struck by how predictable Ireland's attack was. Um, It was and I'm going to get maybe a bit harsh on some of the players and I don't mean to be on that. The service from nine was was slow. There was a wind up on, on a lot of the passes. It went to the out half who I think is very good but doesn't necessarily have a running game there with, with that attack system that they have. There was no running threat off 10. The defence drifted out to the middle and all Ireland had to do or all Ireland were trying to do was put another back rower like Dorothy Wall or someone out there to try and crash the ball up. And they'd run these little pods that didn't seem to be in any way effective. They had, the ball was slow. The defence was streaming up, had loads of time. They were drifting off nine and 10 because there wasn't much of an attack threat from the inside. And they just covered the backs pretty easily. They tried to punch through with the forwards, particularly with the second rows, with a bit of power where it was where, where they had it. But it was all too predictable and Ireland just ended up kicking ball away and got caught in transition um, quite a few times, mainly down to poor defence. And you've got to question things like one-on-one tackling, where like you have, I think you had the stat, what was it last week, averaging... 38 missed tackles per game or something, was it, Jeff? That was, yeah, that was before last weekend, yeah. Yeah, 30, 38, not not 38 missed tackles over the previous four games. 38 missed tackles per game. On average, yeah. yeah on average, right? Now, there are, and we've I've spoken about it over the last couple of weeks and so have you guys, there are so many fundamental systemic pathway problems, the whole lot within this. There are problems with the coaching. There, there really is, right, in terms of being able to get an effective game plan that the girls and women can play to. That has that failed for the entire tournament. There was things about warm-up games not being done, not having enough time together, the selection issues, the continuity, things like that. That's all there and that's all outside. But at the same time, the coaches and the IRFU aren't on the pitch missing 38 tackles a game. And that has to be addressed. Some of that will come down to being pros against almost amateurs at this point. But some of it has to be that the players have to accept some responsibility towards it. We've talked about it enough in, in terms of the, the off-field stuff, but we also have to have to due respect for the players as well. If they, if they want to be rated and if they want to, to be professionals, part of what's coming up against it is you, you have to be measured to certain standards. And 38, you can accept a certain amount of missed tackles, but averaging 38 a game, that's, it was, that's um, just an yeah, it was a, it was a pretty bleak watch to be honest. And I remember at halftime, uh, it was a seven three at halftime, and you know people were saying this is really good, etc. Like, 
I don't think they were taking into account the opposition. Like this is the most points Scotland scored in a six game, Six Nations game in twenty years. So yeah, kind of like, is it, is it is it good? Like, is it good or is it like what are we comparing it against? You know, and like, like there was one try scorer in this whole tournament. Like Nicola Friday scored two tries. Like your second row is your top scorer with two. It was, ah, uh, listen, it was bleak. It was really, really bleak. Um, you know what it felt looking at it, Jeff? Uh, Jesus, it was so bleak. It felt that Ireland had nothing solid to fall back on. Every team goes through a patch where you're playing like shit. Everybody has a, a game like that or a, a series of games like that. But you try and pull it back to something you know you have. Big rocks, your game, all those cliches. feels like Ireland don't, don't have any. Feels that Ireland don't have anything that reliable that they can kind of fall back on to go, well, fuck it, at least we can at least we can do this. Set piece, not good enough. Scrum. Scrum's actually all right, I think. Not the worst. Not the worst this weekend. Yeah, not the worst this weekend. But like you look overall, I can't think of one thing with this Irish team that I could say, okay, look, well, they can fall back on their transition game. They can fall back on, you know, this a difficult line out mod. It feels that everything at the moment is just so up in the air and there's so little solid about what, they, what they're what they doing. It's very difficult to win any game. It's, in that it's, it's interesting that you said there's nothing to fall back on and Owen said that it felt like delivery from nine was very slow because I agree with both. But just to, I suppose, be fair a little bit, if you go back and watch it, at times, Scuffle McCabe didn't know who she was passing the ball to. Yeah. Like there was no like first receiver just wasn't calling for it. There was no direction given. Like like we like we've all watched games, right? And we've all played games, whatever. Like if you're given that pass, straight away you're thinking to yourself, Okay, I need to know what the next one is going to. Or if you're let's say if you're running the game, let's say ten or twelve, whatever it is, but if you're running the game, as soon as that phase is playing out, you're calling that next phase straight away. And as soon as that pass leaves your hand, you're telling your forwards or you're telling your backs, whatever it is, what's happening straight away next, even while that phase is playing out, but it's not happening. The phase is played out, the picture is presented. And then after that ball is waiting there, your nine is being told, go left, go right. We saw it, there was a pass given to... Eve Jones, I think, that she knocked on, but she in no way, shape, or form was expecting that pass because she was lining up as that inside tips line off the off the lead runner. There was another one that was uh, a pass to Dan O'Brien, and she knocked on, even though there was no pressure on her whatsoever. We saw that against Italy off a scrum. So I mean, there is a lot of basic errors that are happening, but defensively in attack, like a big thing for me, someone said it to me today. They were like, oh, but sure, they didn't have sevens players either throughout the tournament. My argument there is like, what were they playing off? Like, even if they were, where's the platform set how, like? How do you, you know? get how do you get them into the game without any sort of framework or platform to work on? But, like, but, I mean, but 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 even if like let's say you win a penalty, you kick 30 meters down, there's a 50-50 chance that line out's been lost, or yeah. it's not clean ball and you're back to square one. No, just just nothing to fall back on. Not even a there, set piece. There was no, there was no like we're gonna go. I don't know, 
two off nines, screen off 10, snap back. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was no structure. There was no pattern. And if you watch it, it just almost seems like, okay, uh, they're over there now, give them the ball. Now we're over here, give us the ball. And the, the odd screen runner, the odd dummy pa- or dummy runner and the odd screen pass in there, that was it. That was, that was it. It was um, like I was texting a friend of mine um, who used to play with Ireland uh, during the game and she wasn't watching it. And I was just kind of like, it's so bleak. Like there's just so many errors. Like um, the, probably the biggest thing I could say in regards to the game was the consistency in selection. Like it, same starting 15, uh, like that was up there as a highlight. Um, the It was a good idea to go for that mall, uh, that line out mall that Ireland eventually scored off. And even though like there was people going like, what are you going for the line out for? Like on social media. And I understand where they're coming from. Ultimately, nothing else is working. Like you can go for the scrum shore and have a more secure possession, but what are you going to create off it? The line out mall was probably the most dangerous thing they had. Yeah, um, and it, they, it allows you to go deeper. Just, just go. Like just it. try and launch it at that. You're not making ground anywhere else. There was yeah. kicks being made because ultimately nothing was being created. There was going six, seven, eight phases where like no ground has been made, and we saw that against uh, against Italy as well. You know, there was I think against Italy there was like three ninety second possessions. Off one of them, there was no ground made. Uh, off another one, I think there was maybe five yards in total. So, I mean, if you're not causing the defense to compress, if you're not putting them under stress, like Owen, you said it, the defense could just drift off. They could do it because they'd watch, they'd see the pass, they'd bounce out, they'd see the pass, they'd see one dummy running their own. Well, that's not a pod. I can bounce off that threat and they're straight out again. So, yeah, it was, there was a, there was a lot to take from it. Um, like, do you, do you know, if you're ever running a game, like if you're like stepping in as a playmaker in a game or whatever else, there'll always be, one of those phases where you know all right this one's going to be a bit hairy because i'm going to be passing this to somebody who's isolated and it's going to to be a back coming and clear this rock but if we can get that rock i will have a whole stack of units and pods ready to go on the next phase it felt that ireland were consistently going to those type of phases but without the prep for what was coming after with the yeah, big, yeah, the big yeah. open side play or big open side structure to come back on, that was my biggest like like disappointment I feel for this game and over the tournament that there it was, was it was it was chess not checkers or yeah. it was checkers not checkers chess. not chess it, it just felt like there was like Ireland needed to be two three phases ahead but it was always this phase now the next phase yeah. now the next phase rather than it being part of a larger machinery and I, look there's inexperienced players there but like. Ireland finished like wooden spoon. So this is kind of where it breaks down. Lots of blame it's, to go down to though. It's, it's the, not even a losing bonus point, I think is yeah. really, really jarring. Yeah. yeah. It just shows the total regression from last year. And the other, whole, other, other teams getting better too as well. Oh yeah. But like, it's the whole, this is year one. I don't know what you'd call it's maybe year one since the contracts but the coaching it's the second six nations for the coaching staff there was a tour to japan in there as well like what do we call that do we just call that a we went on a trip do you know what i mean like yeah it's kind of hard to see now what 
was learned from there. Do you know what I mean? Like, but that's always the case if you go on a massive losing run, you know. Um, well, they, I I don't think the Celtic challenge helped at all either. Like no. that was no. not fit for purpose, really. When you think about it, like as in, you look at the opposition we played. Certainly wasn't the opposition we played in the Six Nations. Like, God no, I felt it. It felt it felt that. I think that the read of the quality of Wales, Scotland, and Italy was that they were worse. We thought they were worse than what they actually are. Yeah. I got that. I got that impression. Watching the games, that we felt that we put it up to Wales because we did so last year. That we beat Italy because we did so last year, and that Scotland aren't going great at all. So we should win that as well. And then you're thinking, okay, third or fourth place, not the worst in the world, but it felt that our read of their strengths and their improvements since then was off. And as a result, no bonus points, no losing bonus points and rock bottom. And it, it, it but apparently it's not like, it's actually worse than that as well, because with the war, the WXV third tier. Yeah. Third tier. Yeah. But even like when, when, um, when Wales beat Italy, it turned out Ireland needed a bonus point win against Scotland would do. And suddenly you're thinking, okay, they don't need to win by 16, like a bonus point win will do. But at the same time, you're like, so they have to score or they have to create four times as many tries as they've created so far in this tournament. Like, Unlikely. you know, there's a little glimmer where you're like, okay, a bonus point win, you know, that I can do that. And then you think to yourself, like you take away the penalty try, you're like, well, they've only created one try so far in four games. So well, there, go, there goes that dream. Yeah, it was, it, it just, like, it just, yeah, look, it just felt, like I said, nothing reliable to go back to. And I never really felt, I hoped they could win against Scotland. But like watching the first half, it's just like, uh, even when they went level, I felt to be like, I, I never really felt, well, Ireland can push on from here. It was always more likely to Scotland, like in the try that they scored, just again outstanding on the outside, just like really, really good running. Oh yeah, McKee, outstanding. Uh, McKee, a fantastic finish. Yeah. My God, um, the speed yeah, was like the acceleration just boom. Very difficult to live with. Like yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Do you know, like I think Scotland aren't great at the moment either, but they have players that can go to that can pull out little bits like that. I just felt Ireland would even with an even better line out and Maul would have been far more competitive and it's like there's a long road now from here do you know like to go to a third tier of WXV yeah that will limit the scope for improvement also because you're not you're not playing the best teams like so you might go on a good winning run I would expect Ireland to do so but the scale of improvement that's needed for next year is for next year's Six Nation is colossal absolutely colossal massive massive yeah yeah well, part of that seems to be playing out now with Greg McWilliams rumored to be to be leaving. Um, the RFU did release a statement, or sorry, it, there was uh, articles in some of the papers claiming that he had told the players he was leaving, and then the IRFU stepped in and said discussions were ongoing. Um, but to all intents and purposes, it does feel like or seem like he is leaving. 
it's hard to see how that job becomes attractive to anyone outside of Ireland and even within Ireland. I mean, it, it's not going to be a, a sought-after position, I don't think. If there is enough money there. I think it also it depends on what structures they're allowed to implement and change. Like if, let's say like if you go for the gig tomorrow and you're told, well, no, 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 the, the structures are going to remain the same. You're a bit like, well, it clearly doesn't work. Whereas if you're allowed to oversee a revamp, include you know, the women's clubs in Ireland include the women's AIL clubs and making decisions, etc. Like it does get a lot more attractive then in that case, because you can make a change. But if you're told like, oh no, you're just in charge. You're just a head coach here. You don't get to implement a structural change, etc., or bring people in, let's say not coaching wise, but you know, committee wise, like, or um, include certain clubs, and, and their coaches, etc. Why would you want it? Like, yeah, like Tom, you said, if there's enough money there, like, but ultimately, I mean, I don't think money is the be all and end all. Well, like when it comes to a gig like that, how much money would you want to just be set up to fail? Yeah. I mean, like, I think to an extent, do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where, Homer found out he had a brother who owned a car company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he asked him to create a car and it was just shocking, ev- shocking because it included everything that he wanted. I think what will happen and what must happen with women's rugby in this country is that it can't be that. It can't be the big ugly car that everybody gets what they want. I think to a certain extent, there's a lot of tough conversations have got to come and a lot of tough meetings have to come where I think the best outcome is where everybody's slightly pissed off about what's, what's happened. But I think that there's talent here. There's talent in the country. Like I've watched every single AIL game this year of the, from the women's division, every single one of them. There are talented players in this country. Like there's a decent standard of rugby, I think, for in, in, in some of the games in, the, in that division. Like some of them end up being blowouts, 70, 80 nil. That happens because there's lopsided teams like Railway or an outstanding side. Same as Black Rock, really, really good. You look at UL, you look at Belleville, Wicklow have some good players as well. Galwegians have actually shown a good bit this season too. Um, I think that whatever happens, is like there's got to be something to come together to make that work as a pathway to get people up at a level where they can perform it at this level. Otherwise, things are going to stay the way they, the way they are and nobody wants to go watch a losing team. But it's performance versus participation. At AIL level, that's a huge problem. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. If, like, um, I don't know. Actually, do you know what? No, I leave it because I don't know if I'm allowed to say it or not. So I'll just leave it. Um, is, is, it the, is, is it the S word? Poop. <laughs> <laughs> What's next on this other S word, the script? Will we move script on? Script is, again, pushing things... Um, Slightly to, to the limits. Um, some of the other news from around the place. Uh, Glasgow versus Toulon uh, for the Challenge Cup final. Exeter should be a good game. And a lot of Connacht fans are like, go on, the lads. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, that only leaves them now. Uh, Sharks sure. are the only team that can 
they're they're rooting against the sharks like the the crowd on the beach in Jaws okay Um, we then have Ulster have put in planning permission to get a 3G pitch in Ravenhill Um, been lodged this week or about to be lodged I believe Um, is that their their main pitch uh, I think so yeah I believe so. That's yeah. that surprised me because like Ulster like to play heavy off nine, and it just so doesn't I, strike I, I me as play a, heavy off nine in a four G pitch. That's what I mean. Like it just didn't strike. I was a bit like, oh, okay. No, maybe like, it's one. Maybe it's one of the conditions of having a frozen pitch. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I think X amount of money for a championship. It's che- cheaper to get a four G. Yeah, get a four G in. We'll just fucking offload. We, we, we'll pay. We'll pay for the plasters. <laughs> We're an offloading team now. <laughs> No more forwards, um, just back rows. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're Stephen, competing with Collins for speedy outside backs. <laughs> tell Stephen Kitch off not to come. It's all right. <laughs> hey, Stephen, can you offload, yeah? No? Oh, fuck it. Go home. Go home. Send up Ox and Shea, boy, would you? <laughs> we'll swap them. Uh, yeah. Well, Ox has just signed a, a new uh, contract with the Sharks. I saw there on social media today. Bongi did um, as well, didn't he? And Bongi did as well, yeah. Um and obviously then in the Champions Cup, um, La Rochelle beat Exeter to, to make it a Leinster versus La Rochelle. I've always identified with La, Roche, with La Rochelle as a, as a team, as a, as a cultural me, I'm half institution. French, I'm, I'm totally there. With you. I know, I'm just like, th- today I feel like I'm from La Rochelle, you know? I don't, you know? Feel, France. I don't feel it today, but I might in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Maybe maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah, give it a bit of time for no reason. I, I, I'm I'm not even sure. Are they who are they playing? Are they playing? Is there a big game coming up? I have no idea. I have no idea. Not that I've heard. Uh, moving then on to we're back to the uh, best league in the world this weekend. Um, URC returns with the quarterfinals, kicking off on Friday night with Ulster against Connacht. Um, Connacht have Bundyaki and Mac Hansen back. Ulster are missing amongst others um, Henderson, Tom O'Toole and Marty Moore. Um, good That's game, set up think. to be a bit of an intriguing one. Connacht have been on a great run. Ulster have been as well. But like, I think if Connacht fire to their potential, they have weapons that can hurt Ulster. I think that I see Andy Friend being a little bit not very friendly in the press this week, saying that there was pressure on Ulster because they're they're at home. They're just like these are Babby's first mind games. You're better than this, Andy. You can do better I, than that. I think he's right. I think I, he's right. I, I think, think he's dead right. There. Oh, but come on, it's like that's the first fucking thing everybody goes. Oh, they're at home. They're pressured like as if they don't know that. Like as if Ulster aren't well aware. We're at home, so we kind of have to win. It's like I can just imagine Dan McFerrin's like, oh, it's it's a home game. Home. Wait, Cancel the book. Shit, better check if the pitch is okay. <laughs> we're expected to win. Hang on. I have a holidays book for next week. Answer that. What? <laughs> but yeah, no, it should be a good game. I think um, I, I like, I like, I think just a big, big kind of good clash of styles here. These two teams. Um, one yeah, is going to look. One is going to look to kick the synthetic leather off the ball, mm-hmm. and play in transition. And the other team is going to look to maul the everlasting shit out of Connacht, and hit off nine. Yeah. essentially yeah unless they've got but a change like, of tactics this week I, I tell you um, one player that could be massive in this 
is Niall Murray because mm. the line out, yeah. Defensive line out. If yeah. he gets a couple of steals in there, like and I know it's a big banker, like if 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 Ulster, sorry, get penalty, you know, cheap yards, the kick to the five, etc. Now they've they've more malls and more mall tries than any other team, etc. I'm pretty sure we all got that email today from the URC. I, I also got that mall. That, yeah. that, that email. <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend to own that stat. No, so just pretend. I wasn't even um, going to bring it up because I, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, like you know, it's a it's a big bank to, or it's a big risk to to go up on a five meter lineout because you're risking your mall D shape. And if there was ever a team that you need to be set in Mall D4, it's Ulster. But it's, like it's either turnover or try, really, isn't it? If he can Those turn moments. that over, if he can read it, it well bust. and turn it over, mm. like I mean, that's a huge swing, like a huge swing. So he's going to be a big player, I think, in, in this game if he's selected, obviously, because we don't have team sheets or anything. But, I mean, logic dictates he's probably going in against one of the best line-up malls in the game. Um, but I, I think he could have a huge say in the game. I I think a lot of it could depend actually on Ulster's transition work because and again it's going, we talked it's about going, it over it's the going last to, It's going to have to because Jack Artie's kicking that ball. <laughs> even, if he doesn't, even if he doesn't have it, he's like Billy can yeah. I have that ball there. I just give it a boost. Yeah. But like Ulster have and we've we've talked about this before, Ulster's transition work since Christmas and their downturn has been very poor. And they have opted, instead of trying to counterattack, they've opted to kick back. And that's the game that Connacht are willing to play. And Connacht, if they can get into that, if they can break the line, they are excellent at sort of making that count and converting it. Will, will they have enough speedy outside backs on the on, on in the in the team for this? They're in the squad. They signed about an, I expect them to announce at least seven more tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> they have about forty odd lads fit the injury report said today or yeah. something like that so I mean out of that 40 odd at least 34 are speedy outside backs speedy outside backs so there, there should they'll be they'll definitely get a 23 in there somewhere I'd say. I, I yeah. saw the I saw the pictures from Connacht training earlier this week where they made Mac Hansen and Bundiaki um, oh, what you the, the head or the uh, what you call it the tape tape up their ears and stuff like that just to pretend that they were forwards like Max, like I saw the the photo of him, like like the bottom half of his head looked like fucking Wolverine, top half looked like a fucking soccer mom. Like, what's going on? Just like give the fella a chance. I, I like think he's the, trying to I go like out the, the moment again, is he? Hmm. <laughs> I like the Wolverine look. Yeah, I I liked like do you know what? Because in times gone by, I had big lamb chops myself. Did you? I did. I did when I had hair. I guess but my hair was every fucking color going. I had my hair bleached white, I had my hair bleached blue, I had my hair colored like red, the whole lot. Frosted tips. And I wonder why I'm bald as a fucking egg now, but that'll tell you. So I know the hairstyle smack. <laughs> but yeah, I know he's um like having a guy like that back in is huge. Bundy back in playing well is huge. I could see Connex nipping this, you know. I think Connacht are a bad matchup for Ulster. I know, I know Connacht don't have the best record in terms of sort of against Irish teams and even They've lost the last three against Ulster as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think they're a bad matchup. I think they have the right players in terms of the likes of Connor Oliver and that that can attack the ball, attack the, the breakdown if they can isolate some of the, the, the Ulster attack. I think they, the way they'll kick deep 
will won't necessarily suit what Ulster are doing at the moment. And again, as you say, Lemray can cause a lot of havoc to the Ulster lineout. A lot of things have to go right for Connacht, but I think they can really put it up to Ulster. Um, although I did pick Ulster when when the quarterfinals were first announced, I did pick Ulster as going through on this, so I'm going to stick with that. But I think it'll be quite close. I'm so going win maybe seven points. I'm going for Ulster as well. I just think the front five will uh, be the determining factor in it for me. I think. I think the big battle around here is going to be the scrum. I think that's going to be a mighty fucking a tussle between these two teams. I don't know. I think defensive lineup with uh with uh, Connacht is good. It'll all depend on who cracks first. Like is in because if Ulster start coming under pressure, you know they'll tighten it up. They're going off nine. I'm gonna go with a narrow Connacht win. Because you know how much I love Connacht. You're you know how much wild. I love. I You're just wild when it comes to these predictions. I'm just picking them out of the fucking air. This <laughs> like. <laughs> Just throwing stuff at a wall and seeing which lands highest. <laughs> Is that prediction fully cooked yet? Um, Leinster versus Sharks, Saturday evening. Um, Sharks uh, travelling without a lot of their um, spring box. I think uh, Leinster, it may depend on how many they'll rest up for this. I think it's an how, interesting how rotated. one. I think it's an interesting one for Leinster because, I mean, I see them beating the Sharks regardless who they put out. The semi-final then against Glasgow and then it's in or Glasgow Munster I should say and then it's into the Champions Cup final isn't it? Isn't mm-hmm. that the next three weeks? Yep. So like yeah. I mean do they go full metal jacket have a week off come in? Do they give guys you know some guys a week off some guys 15-20 minutes? They'll do go, that here I think. Go that bit fuller in the semi and then, you know, go fu- again full on then for the final and then full on for the next URC final as well. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they stack up. But like, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I think they can probably afford to rest a lot of guys for this weekend. And have, the, have the Sharks left a lot of their spring walks at home? Not all of them, but they're, they're missing the likes of Itabeth, Sia Khaleesi. Khaleesi's injured. Injured, it's injured as well. It's injured as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kerwin Bosch is missing from it as well. Oh. They, these are all injured. Like, and without oh. without him at ten, they're pretty fucked. Because they'd be they're, better off. They're, they're better off putting you in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a back. I could I could still manage a game better than some of the options they have at ten. That's good. all I'm saying. I I have the same mobility as Ross Byrne, but I can still manage a game. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do think we'll see guys like uh, maybe Jenkins start um, yeah. maybe Scott Penny or Will Connors mm-hmm. Reese Ruddock like I think we'll see those kind, those guys start but an interesting one for me is at 10 if Sexton's fit Ross Byrne starts this for me Sexton's not there do you start Ross Byrne or do you start your Harry Byrne I think, and I think you have scandalous to start Ross Byrne. Talk. You scandalous talk. How, how are you ignoring Sam Prendergast and all this? Oh, I'm ignoring oh, Charlie yes, Tector. I'm ignoring Frawley. Yeah. Ignoring why do you? Every, why do you hate potential? I'm ignoring yeah, every illogical option. Is what I'm doing. Why do you hate him, Jeff? Because he has uh, two more caps than me. Uh, that is true. That is true. Only just only only the two more professional only, caps. So only I the mean, two more pro caps. I, I mean, mean, the golf really come, isn't. Come massive, on. I mean, like, really. You know? I mean, realistically. Um, 
I I don't know. I could see like because at this stage for them to lose Ross Byrne be massive. Would be massive. And like the thing is with the Sharks, um, having played these guys twice and looked at them in fairly in detail over the last couple of months, they're not the they're not the best side when it comes to stuff like mm. their backline moves or like no. their frameworks or anything like that. But they're fucking huge. Like they're big men and they've got a big scrum and a big lineup mall and they can truck hard off nine. And like, there is a risk there. Like their scrummaging is fantastic. Do you know, like they're a really dangerous team that way. And if they get enough lineup positions off a scrum penalty or whatever else, I imagine they'll get a few scrum penalties here. I'm going to say two. That's some big fucking, you're dealing with some big, heavy traffic off 12 I think they'll keep it very Babby's first line out strike simple um, for this upcoming game where you're not going to see too much in the way of complexity um, do you risk Crossburn for this do you start Harry Byrne I, I think you start Harry Byrne and it's, do you yeah I, I, I think you I don't I don't think you put Ross Byrne on from the start at best, yeah, you have him on the bench if, you, if you're going to use him at all. Yeah, so if things are going tits up, maybe bring him on. Yeah. If not, let them handle it. But yeah, like because yeah. there's a there's a couple of guys who I think Leinster can't afford to lose for the semi final, which I think they'll take mostly seriously, and the fight the European Cup final, which obviously is a huge deal for the club, fifth star and all this other shit. Um, Porter, Sheehan, although. Kelleher is kind of Keller, coming back Keller's into the frame back now. now. Along with Joe McCarthy, I think, isn't it? Yeah. James Ryan, Ross Byrne, Gary Ringrose. I know Henshaw is injured. I'm not sure what the long-term prognosis is on him. Like Hugo Keenan, I think, could easily start this game. I, mean, I wouldn't wouldn't be expecting him to pick, to, him to pick up an injury. That could happen at any time with a full back. Like. The, the thing with Hugo Keenan is he could start this game and you wouldn't know because your attention wouldn't be drawn to Leinster's yeah. fullback because everything is done so well. Yeah. So like, it's a very, like, I mean, he could pick up an injury, but sure, you could pick up an injury in Duns, you know? So like, <laughs> I'm looking at, like, I'm looking at um, the guys who they can't afford to lose who are in heavy traffic positions. And I'm thinking, Ross Byrne, do they want him lining up all that often in this game against, you know, uh, what's your man? That they're, 12 big heavy hitter like the likes of Vincent Sachuka, you know, Notche, Pepsi Budelazy, these guys who are big physical hard runners. That's going to be the thing. Um, so it comes down to it like, you know, Porter, do you start him in this? Like he's their, one of their game winners. Like, I, I think you go with Healy. I think you go with either, um, you take Sheen out. You probably go with Alatoa. I think um, Jenkins and probably Maloney, maybe mm-hmm. McCarthy if he's fit, you might throw him. From there, put him on the bench. Probably go I think you Baird, maybe depending on his fitness. Like, sure, isn't Ruddock, on the isn't Ruddock injured as well? Is he injured? Uh, I, think, I think he is. Did he? Did he? Didn't he have surgery or something? My reason. Oh, South Africa. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, um. Yeah. So I think they might yeah, go with Baird, Max, Max, Deegan, Max Deegan, Penny, Penny, something like that. Yeah. Um, and like and then, uh, start Luke McGrath, Harry yeah, Barnes. I think. I, I think Harry Byrne, then you you put um depending on Henshaw's injury, maybe Natai in there. Yeah. There's a risk there too though. Because there'll be some heavy leather, like is in with the type of game the sharks are gonna bring. 
that I, I think that's where you need him. I think yeah, you put that tie in there. Risk and reward, and you, I suppose. You, you know, maybe someone like Osborne outside him or something like that. Or He's injured as well. Gym. Is Osborne still injured, isn't he? He is okay. injured, then, yeah. Obviously, Jimmy O'Brien then you want in. Fabulous player. Fabulous player. Fabulous player. Like, but I think, will he be in it? That 11 jersey? So they put maybe Liam Turner? It's a big game for Turner. It's a big game. Or Tommy mm-hmm. O'Brien? Also a big game for Tommy, I think. Yeah. Like, I mean, they could put Rose yeah. in there as well, but like, fuck, don't, you don't want to be losing him for this game, out of this game, which again, can happen because the Sharks, know, whatever. At, whatever, at the same time, else. Turner's done well. Like, he, I has, know he was in that team that got slaughtered there by the Bulls. And, um, but like in games where he's been in pretty much, you know, a, 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 what's the word? An established team. He's done very well, you know, so it wouldn't be, it's a big game. It wouldn't, wouldn't be a shock at all to see him yeah, there. Not at all. Yeah. Um, Larimore probably at 14. Larimore. Keenan, I, yeah. Yeah. I think they'll put Keenan at fullback just because the, the, the Sharks will probably box, will be box kicking a fair bit, I would say. So you keep a solid guy there. I know not the fullback doesn't always take those box kicks, but I think with if there's any sort of aerial traffic, you want Keenan around. That's what Luke McGrath is there for. He, he's yeah. there to cover Larmer on, on the wing for those yeah. box kicks. And it's, yeah, no, I, I think that that team, I suppose it depends on how the, the scrum goes and how the, if they're able to break down the Sharks, which they should be able to do, to be fair. I think um, they will, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's set up to be interesting because like for Leinster, there's obviously an advantage or there's a, a you know, something that they desire to get as many of the top guys out and keep them fresh for a possible semi-final, you know, for a big two game hit out. But even then, if that European Cup game come up, if there's guys coming in at this stage of the season, everybody's got a, a knock of some description. Um, It's a tough one to manage. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, for, obviously, for a Leinster win. I think they'll, they'll put 20, 30 points on him. I'm going to go I'm, with a Leinster win. Yeah, I'm going Leinster um, and just, then the, just because the I think just, I think the sharks are just a stupid animal, They're just morons. They don't don't stupid, travel well. Stupid fish on on land, especially. Yeah. Um, moving on to the main event then on Saturday night, Glasgow against Munster. Main event. Um, main event of the evening. Main, main event, event Munster. And Munster has burn uh, tag burn back. RG Snyman fit and ready doing the press conference this week. Yeah. It's going to be a sticky game. It's a tough game. Glasgow won very well. Glasgow are going very well. Their last home loss. Are you reading the email? Hang on. Yeah, as I speak, I'm actually just kind of... Oh, wait, I, I, I remember I'm actually, I was literally just kind of scrolling there. Because <laughs> yeah, as Leinster were introduced, I was like, oh yeah, I just scrolled down there. <laughs> just La Rochelle, I think, wasn't it? Uh, their last loss at home was not La Rochelle, no. Oh, like I have a deep cultural affinity with, with La Rochelle, so that's probably oh, why this, I'm this thinking could that. be uh, just URC actually. Oh, okay. Leinster, October twenty-one. Oh, which is a long time ago. That's a long time ago. There's a bit of heat in this game, though. There always is, isn't it? There is a bit of heat in this game. Jesus, Monster Glasgow does be spicy. It does, and I, I live for it. I actually love yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. Now I, I probably love it because I'm not involved. Because if I was involved, I. Hamstrings tweak in there, lad. Sorry. Um, Sorry, there's too, there's, there's too much hatred in my hamstrings after right. snapping in half. This game is too fiery for my blood. Um, I love it because I'm, I'm an observer rather than a participant. Because I'll tell you um, what, though, 
like in Toma Park for this game, the, the, you know, a couple of weeks back, Glasgow were given it the fucking big one after everything that went their way in this game, like talking all that shit, celebrating everything, walking around the place, looking like they'd won a World Cup after the game. And I was just thinking, fuck. Because, <laughs> like, there's real hatred between these two teams. Like, so for Munster, having experienced all that in Tolman Park, knowing how badly they underperformed, there's huge motivation, even outside a quarterfinal, to go and put some fucking things straight up in Scottsdale this weekend. But you remember when when Munster were going to South Africa and needed seven points? And I said, a little bit of Roundtree is probably like, nice one. Like, this is what you want. This is what you want to see kind of first season. Again, you know, quarterfinal of the domestic league. You've done all that work in South Africa to be in this position. What do you do now? Do you say, okay, I'm happy with what we've got. Like, we've got Europe and... You know, we finished top eight, etc. You know, blah blah blah, and we we got seven points in South Africa. I think that he is. Well, I think every team has this, like, but certainly, I think he will be very much, um, in well, not insisting, but leading a culture of, well, those two wins or that win and that draw in South Africa means sweet fuck all. If you know, like, no one's going to look at this season and go. Oh, class! You know, you 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 got that win in South Africa. If you're crashing out of a quarterfinal, mm-hmm. and again, it's the hard way to do it, which is getting uh, away. Yeah, like isn't it? Like, is there any point in the near future where Munster goes? You know what, lads? We'll just, you know, we'll tip away and we'll uh, just and win. nice we'll, and handy. We'll win these few games first or second. And, no uh, you know, we we'll get don't you know? We we'll just go the easy route for a little while. Like it would be nice. Um, but you know, they they'll say like away to Scottstone for, for this game, Glasgow are pretty invincible at home. Like it's a fiery affair, even if it's just a league game, let alone a quarter final. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like the logic in me says Glasgow have been playing beautiful rugby. They're into the final of the Challenge Cup. They haven't lost at home in what feels like forever. They like they are peaking very, very well at the right time this season. But then the other side of me is like, well, I'm just going to back Munster in this one because they've dug their way out of shit worse than this before. So I think having those guys back, Burn, Snayman, you know, the Omani coming in playing very well, it's set up for one of those games. Do you know? I'm saying to other monster guys, well, you know, one of those games, slobber knocker. Yeah, is that what, is that what it's called? Slobber knocker. Yeah, yeah, it's got that feel about it, where this is going to be a fucking war, and we've got lots of guys who like fucking wars, especially against Glasgow. Um, and what better coaching staff to be talking to you ahead of the game? We're talking. I was talking to one there about access monster beforehand. Can you imagine what the likes of Dennis Leaney be talking about this week or oh, before baby. the game? Oh, good, baby, good lord! Um, but this is this is why they play the game to come into big games like this, and especially if you're a monster player, you know, going to a stadium where everybody fucking hates your guts. This is what you want. The other team hates your guts. You hate their guts. 
I think we'll this see is RG and Klein in the row. Yeah. Maybe burn yeah. to six. Like you put him straight in. That's, I, I think I, if, he's, if he's fit, you put him in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. Like burn to six, O'Mahony to seven. Boom's eight. Yeah. And that's some, that is some ball of a back five there though. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking about it. Like if you look back, I think anything that could go wrong did go wrong in the game in Tolman. Yeah. In that, particularly in that first 40 minutes. Things were bad at half back. Things were bad in the front row. We didn't have the power in the second row either on it. And I think you look at it now, you've got the likes of Lockman back. You've got Scannell now who's coming back from injury. You've got Barron who's played so well in um, South Africa. You've got Archer who was outstanding in South this Africa. Guy, Archer is fucking unreal the last couple of weeks. Unbelievable. Yeah. You have Salanoa who can play ball. But then you add in the guys like Byrne, like Snyman, real like world real class. candidates for world-class players who can add to that. You add in a bit of a bit of spice to it, a bit of fired up, want to want to get revenge back for this. I think it's going to be damn close. Glasgow are a fantastic team playing some side. I think the the what you call it, the um or 3G or 4G pitch or whatever they have there, it's not the game changer it was for them. Um, I think Munster are used to playing on that now. I think I think Munster will will want that. I think they'll want to play ball, same as Glasgow. I think this could be a real high-scoring, high-intensity, high couple of cards going, a few, few scuffles. If there um, isn't a card in this game, I'll I'd be shocked. I'd be fucking shocked. <laughs> Someone is getting a card in this game. Like I, I feel watching the last game and like Glasgow were comfortable off-balling Munster where they were comfortable enough defending us physically because they felt that they had us physically. I'm not sure if we see the likes of Lockman coming in, if we see the likes of uh, Snayman starting alongside Clane with Byrne there as well. I'm not sure that that equation will work this time. And yeah. I think that's going to be a key part about how much size can Munster get on the field for the full 80 minutes. Like, do you put Burn to six to start? Have somebody like a Dogbo or a Hearn on the bench so that you rotate size constantly? That's kind of where the tempting thing is because I know Finney Mitchell has been playing very well also. But I just think that the temptation for me to do a 6-2 split, get as much size and power on the field as possible. You took the words out of my mouth. Mm. A 6-2 split and just really set so your stall out. Like, this is what we're doing. Deal with it. Yeah. Everything. Heavy leather, blood force, fucking trauma. Let's rock and roll off nine if you want to go there. And just play, bring that type of game. Because like, I think Munster will have to just embrace being bad guys here. Because that's what's going to happen in Scottsdale. So I think you look at the, the physicality that we have finally back fit all at the one time. I mean, fuck it. You'd love to say, I'd love to see a burn, uh, Snayman, Klain, Omani, Coombs, back five. That'd be one of the best back fives in the tournament. Huge. As Peter Clausey used to say, fucking sold into them, boys. So into them. Sold into it. them. That's it. That's all I want to see. I'm going for a monster win. I'm I'm gonna go with my heart on this one rather than my head. I'm gonna go monster win as well. I'd like to state that 
before I went for, I think it was Ulster over in Glasgow or something like that. And someone tweeted us and we were like, you know, going against Glasgow was silly. I would like to point out that I know logically looking at the statistics and everything like that, that Glasgow are the call to go for. But no, no, I said, I said weeks ago, I'm going to back Munster now for the rest of the season. And it's not stopping. I just think so much is kind of building towards one of those days. And we know, we know what those days are. You know, anyone who's a Munster fan will know what I mean by one of those days. I think this could be one of those days. So I'm going to go with uh, a Munster win in what will be the spiciest game of the weekend. 100%. Although like we'll round Ulster, it up there, folks. Ulster kind of could be spicy. Uh, yeah, not as spicy as this, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, okay. I'll stop. Sorry, Owen. We'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, as it really helps. And be sure to share the podcast on social media. Hope you have a good week, and the three of us will be back next week to chat again. Mm-hmm.